0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Living With Power Hope Podcast. I'm your host, Lena Abujemra, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm an ER doctor in my professional life, but here I'm better known as the Hope Doctor. Hey, every couple of weeks on the show, I invite a friend to join me, and we talk about hope, how we can lose our hope, how to claim it back, and how to keep it for good. So today, I'm really excited to tell you about my guest. Uh, She has gained quite a reputation for herself as the queen of Twitter, or at least in my world she is. That's how I got to know Karen. She's a professor of English at Liberty University and the author of several books. Her best-known book is probably Fierce Convictions, The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore. But her newest book comes out this fall on reading well, finding the good life through great books. It is a book that you're going to want to read. Uh, Karen is a brave woman of conviction who has literally just come through a fight for her life and hung on to hope for dear life. I can't wait for her to tell us the story of hope when you've been hit by a bus. Her faith continues to soar, and I can't wait for her to tell us more about it. So let me uh, have the honor of introducing you to Kieran swallow Pryor. Hey, Kieran.
1: Hey, Lena, Thanks so much for having me on. It's a, it's a blessing to be here in every way.
0: <laughs> Listen, I know. I'm pretty pumped about it, too. And uh, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about um, your summer. It didn't really play out the way that
1: you thought it would, did it? No, it did not. I mean, this is my summer started. I mean, I literally uh, turned in my final grades for the semester on uh, a Monday and then traveled on a Tuesday um, in May to Nashville, Tennessee, where I was going to attend uh, just a, a two day conference. Um, and ironically, for reasons we'll probably talk about later, the conference uh, was focused on women in the church and particularly evangelical women and the problems that women have been facing, um, over the years and, and lately. And I, uh, I had a meeting before the conference started and it was a beautiful spring morning and I'm, I'm a runner and exerciser. And so I just decided that I was going to walk from my hotel to my meeting because it was only a, a 20 minute walk away. And, um, so I was walking in downtown Nashville, um, got a little turned around and lost and decided I should just go back to the hotel and catch a cab. And on my way back to the hotel, about a couple blocks from there, um, I don't know what happened. Um, because I, I apparently stepped in front of a bus that I did not see. And, oh um, yeah, I didn't see it until it was hitting me. And, um, and then the next thing I know, I, I woke up on the road on the, on the street. Um, on my side, screaming in pain, I was surrounded by people, I couldn't see anything except like the blood running down my arm. And um, I could hear all these people around me who were helping and, and two of them said that they were nurses, and they were giving instructions, and telling me the ambulance was coming and telling people not to move me. And one man was holding my hand the whole time and I kept screaming and just asking when the amb- ambulance was going to get there. I was in so much pain.
0: Wow. So, the- I mean, you know, I'm an
1: ER doctor, so I got to stop you for a second because this
0: <laughs> is up my alley and you're alive. So we can sort of milk the story yeah, a little bit. Sure. Like, like it's like a genuine bus, like a city bus, big old fat bus.
1: Well, th- so this, so of course, I didn't see anything. I didn't know anything that was going on uh, and, and my husband got the call. Um, who is back here, you know, in Virginia, nine hour drive away, he got the call and the paramedic told him that I had been hit by a tour bus. Wow. And, so not
0: like an ice cream truck bus, like, like one of those massive buses.
1: Well, then, well, then when we later, when we got the police report, because, you know, again, I, I just did not know what happened. So we just didn't know many details until we got the police report. And it was apparently like a local tour bus, more like, a, uh, um, so not a full like size. A
0: trolley. Bus. Do, 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 that sort of
1: thing. or, a, or a, it was actually interesting it was a civil war sites uh tour bus or something i don't know so and it was it was church street that i got hit on oh gosh okay I this is gets better, and better. So, yeah yeah so now when you're out do you see jesus do you see lights like how close to to, to, to you know the other side were you you could write books on this. <laughs> well, again, I was just in so much excruciating pain. I didn't know anything except for the pain in my back that I felt and all over my body. And then I get to the emergency room. And you know, you're like, you, you know, I, this, you know, this yeah. drill, I, I it was all new to me, but I'm lying on a gurney. And, and you know, I can't see anything. I can't see the people around me. I, I, I can only just straight stare straight up ahead at the ceiling. And they're, they kept asking me the first thing I really remember is them, over and over asking every person that would come in would ask me if I could move my toes. And Mm. of course, I, I knew why they were asking me that. And so every time I could, and even with all of the pain that was going on, and the confusion that I had, like just that fact that I could move my toes at that point, that gave me hope, you know, right.
0: And, so. and I mean, somebody, we don't know who, I assumed it wasn't you, had t- tweeted pretty quickly that you were hit by a, a bus, right? I mean, how quickly after the accident did you start to register sort of the impact that this was having even nationally with I me? Mean, you do. I mean, I started off by introducing you and you have gained a pretty strong Twitter presence, um, certainly has made a big impact on, on me and many others who follow you. Your thoughts are just really been very sort of interesting and exciting to read. And so when did you notice like the whole world was praying for you pretty much in that moment?
1: Well, um, somehow I was, I, you know, of course I'm, I'm from out of town. I'm in this strange city. Um, I have friends who live in Nashville, but I also had a friend from out of town who, um, who was there to go to the same conference and she was supposed to pick me up and give me a ride to the conference. And so somehow I don't even remember this, but, um, my phone survives and I got a message to her. She was also at a meeting. I got a message to her saying, I've been hit by a bus and I'm at the hospital. (laughs) And so by the time I got to the emergency room, I don't know, as far as I remember, she was there when I got there and she stayed with me the whole day and some other friends came in. And so she took my phone and she just, you know, she started communicating. Um, She called my husband. She posted some things on Twitter and Facebook and so forth. And so pretty quickly, um, you know, the whole world knew what had happened.
0: Which is pretty awesome. I mean, because really what ended up turning, and and we're going to talk about hope, but really in some ways, this particular episode, you know, in a way, like it feels like there was such rallying around you, but, but I want to get to the bigger picture of what was happening, you know, in the, in the church scene, I suppose, that maybe was more of the uh, sort of struggle for hope than in this situation. Because really what ended up happening, I mean, was sort of a miracle. I mean, your recuperation has been, uh, I mean, I know you're still in the summer in bed and, and, and recuperating, but really a mi-
1: miraculous recovery. Uh, no, it it really has. And and again, once we looked at the police report and saw what happened, one of the other miraculous things that happened that I didn't, of course, know until afterwards is that I actually got hit by the bus's mirror on the side hmm. rather than the front of the bus. And so if I got, you know, who knows what would have happened if it were the front and I got run over, I got hit knocked in the head by the side mirror that's where i my head laceration um and the seven staples i got in my head came from that and then i landed on my side which is why my pelvis is cracked uh, my shoulder is cracked my ribs are cracked i had um uh my lungs were collapsed yeah. yeah, my lungs collapsed. But the, the other th- a miracle is because, you know, I'm a professor. So all of my stock is in my brain. Um, hmm. I did not have a brain injury. You know, I landed on my side, everything on my left side is, you know, broken and crushed. Um, but my head, other than the superficial lacer- skin laceration, um, my head was not injured. Of course, they had to do CAT scan, MRI, all that. I mean, I didn't know any of that. I, I didn't know anything. <laughs> um until as the day unfolded um and then
0: and and you've been feeling like how's the summer been like you feel like you know we're recording this of course midway through summer and and uh how have you feel like you're coming around you could planning on teaching in the fall back to full schedule what's your
1: another small miracle is that um i'm actually um i mean i it's five five almost six weeks later um Mm -hmm. i'm almost pain free i'm off of I'm pretty much off of the prescription pain medications. I still have them for when I do therapy if I need them. Um, I cannot put weight on my left leg because of the pelvic screw um, for a total of three months. And I, I think I think to the day, three months is the first day of classes, right? So if everything goes oh. as planned, I'll be off the walk. I'm using a walker um, and I'll be off of that when classes start. Um, but you can and, still like make a big entrance with like a cane. You're like this distinguished English yeah. professor. Yeah, <laughs> I might have to use a cane and that, that will, that will be okay. I think um, just add to your reputation. What happened to your glasses? Did they break in the, Mike, the another miracle. I just tweeted about this earlier today. Um, uh, my, my, my glasses are like, I mean these, I have a lot of glasses, vintage ones and different ones, but I have this one favorite pair that I just love so much and they don't make them anymore. They're Ray-Bans shout out to ray Ban they survived completely and i no, are kidding i know and I, i'm actually my vision is very poor so not only are they my favorite glasses but just simply if i hadn't had them all that i mean i just i can barely see without them so um they survived my phone survived not that that's you know i mean it was just helpful to have um to communicate oh, with people I, I thought
0: that was a miracle myself i mean god's hand on you it really has been an astounding just, just point of praise you know, in the social media negativity that we can be such a, you know, avalanche. So let's now, like, do let's step back a bit, because you weren't just a random person walking on the street, you got hit by a bus. You're quite mired in that time in quite a big controversy that sort of has quieted down a little, but is still sort of churning in the background, which I think is the place where I think the fight for hope sort of is, is Taking on, you know that is is playing out in front of us. So walk us through sort of how you got involved in um, the fight for women, really in the conservative Christian circle, specifically the Southern Baptist Convention.
1: Yeah, um, and you know, and yeah, I, I can't even <laughs> I can't separate what happened to me with this boss with that from that story. So I'm I'm glad we're talking about it. So just. of going back and just fast forwarding to that moment i mean essentially i would just say you know i was raised in the church i've been baptist most of my life southern baptist since moving to the south 19 years ago um and my experience in the church in general as a woman has been extremely positive the men in my life the pastors my father my husband all of the Christians around me have supported me and empowered me. Uh, I'm an academic, I have a PhD, I teach at at an evangelical university that supports and empowers me. So this, you know, I have never, um, experienced oppression as a woman, as far as I know, or discrimination, it's been entirely positive. So I've actually really up until the past few years, really with the internet and Twitter and getting sort of outside my own circles, um, until then, I was kind of blind to a lot of other women's experiences um, and and the misogyny and the discrimination and the, the oppression and even the abuse. So I would say over the past you know couple of years and especially in the past year, especially becoming more involved in the Southern Baptist Convention because I'm a member of the Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, you know, I've I've been made more aware that my experience is not universal Uh, and so as more and more i get to know more women through the internet through these new vast channels of communication um, and hear their stories and i'm more aware you know my consciousness has been raised and then because i've have i have this platform that the lord has given me when i've had women ask me to share their stories or to speak up, I feel and you know, I have felt an obligation to do so. And that kind of escalated in the past several months when these stories about one of our convention's leaders, Paige Patterson came out of, of just various stories from the far past, from the more recent past of his misogynistic attitudes and views toward women. And, I started to use that platform to speak out and it culminated, um, literally the day I was hit by the bus, uh, because that morning, and this is, you know, I mean, Mm. to be completely honest, this was what was on my mind and probably the thing that was distracting me and played a role in my not seeing the bus because I, because the board, a board of, um, representatives from the convention, had um, been meeting the day before and i had actually been stayed up late until midnight or one o'clock in the morning waiting for their decision about whether they were going to remove Patterson from his office as as president of one of our convention seminaries. I was doing interviews with reporters that late into the night and early the next morning um, as they made their initial decision. And so the conference that I missed because I was in the hospital that I mentioned before was one focused on this issue, and the women who were there, of course, were heartbroken that I was not there and I, because and the reason why and one of them ended up just giving this presentation to the other women about how symbolic it was that that they were meeting about how women in the church had been being thrown under the bus. the patriarchy you know all these years and by these not by all the men but not by most the men but by some important leaders and by power structures that upheld those leaders and here my broken and battered body was kind of the symbol for what had been done been being done to women all these years in the church and it it was just when when my friend came and told me about that presentation in the hospital i just i just wept
0: yeah, I mean, it, it, and it, what, what? And just to give people who might not be as familiar with the backstory, I mean, Paige Patterson was a um, was a very
1: prominent leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. And that morning, I think he was the was he the president at that at the yes, time when of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He ha, he has been a past president of the convention itself.
0: And he had made some comments that were recorded that had come back to surface, of course, with, with the Church Too and Me Too movement. So many things have, have been coming to attention that I think had been buried for a while. And and I think, you know, you can kind of get into whether God is allowing. I mean, I, I believe that a lot of this is just a movement of the spirit and whatnot. But, but that morning, though, it was initially sort of, a disappointing turn of events in some ways, right? Because there had been this this movement of women in the Southern Baptist Convention signing a letter asking for him to be um, removed from his position because of some dramatic things that he had said. But really, that morning he was demoted, but sort of still kept a lot of um, privileges, I
1: guess you could say, in retirement and whatnot. Correct. Right, and then right. it was the the the, commi- the executive committee um, had removed him, basically retired him. From his position, but given him an honorary title of president emeritus and given him full retirement and salary and housing, um, and so some people view that as a promotion. Um, I tend to be more realistic in my expectations, and so I saw when I did some inner, the few interviews that I did that morning before I was unable to do anymore. Um, I was be you know, I thought that the- because I, I understand Southern Baptist politics a little bit more, not much, but, and I know how long these power structures have been in place. I actually thought I was actually happy that they had at least moved him, removed him from, from direct power. And that it right. was, it was, even though it was a symbolic move and it was, important in its significance um and so i was giving sort of tempered praise for the decision because i knew how hard it would be to even get that far Um, but then of course they did um eight days later literally as i was i was literally in the medic van strapped into another gurney to come home um to make the eight hour drive home in this medical van and had my phone again in my hands when I got the news that they had actually basically reversed the decision and and fired him completely and taken away his title and his retirement because, because of new uh, findings about how he dealt with sexual assault al- um, allegations on his campus.
0: Yeah, I mean, and obviously a lot of, I mean, being a person who works at a conservative university yourself, I mean, there's so many dynamics that we could talk about and, and sort of get into here because... I mean, on one hand, you've got the old school conservatives that would say, well, you know, he was sort of adhering to certain you know, ways of I mean, I think of my dad, even who passed away three years ago, who is sort of that old conservative, you know, crusty sort of you know christian and you know some of the things that were said in that era that today would be like shocking to hear but really at the end of the day women were treated badly and and some of the things that of course came out of that were horrific to hear and to read and you always you know don't want to believe everything you read but but how did like how did you wrestle through all of that like how did you how did how do you find clarity when there's so many voices coming at you and and really hearing the voice of the spirit guide your next step and fighting a battle that some might even
1: critique no, that's an excellent question and um I'm glad glad that you brought up just the idea of how things that were acceptable, you know, 20 or 30 or more years ago aren't acceptable today and we do have to be careful. In, I mean, it doesn't mean that they were right, but it means mm-hmm. that they, you know, that that our ju- you know, jud, our judgment needs to be tempered by that understanding. I mean, not to go off on on this trail for very long, but I actually I had to really come to terms with that idea when I was doing research for and writing Fierce Convictions, my biography of Hannah Moore, the 18th century British abolitionist, because as I was studying slavery in, Uh, in our past and trying to understand how so many could have just accepted it for so long uh, and been Mm -hmm. blind to its horrors. I mean, I had to I had to think about the, the context and their times and the factors that made them blind, which doesn't mean it was right, but also think, okay, so we're you know, we're not better people today than those people were we also have moral blind spots there are things that we just cannot see today because culture and context is so strong that we can't get past them all the time to see what's wrong and so this kind of misogyny and patriarchy of the past is is part of that so that's why for me this whole issue was not so much about one man even though that was important it was it, it really was and still is more about the power st- structures and the attitudes that kept him in place. I mean, there, the one video that I found the most horrific, the clip of him speaking lascivious about a 16 year old girl and how nicely she was built. She was nice. He said, right. um, you can hear in that clip, you can hear the church audience laughing. She, you know, approvingly. Yeah. So, yeah. We all, we, we've got to judge ourselves, you know, as we're doing this and, and, and judge the way that we are holding one another accountable or not holding one another accountable. And so it's, you know, that for me, that's where the real issue is. It's about what are, what are we doing wrong collectively? How can we do better? Um, that does mean some decisions have to be made along the way about you know, who hasn't been learning? What should have been learned by now? And what am I not learning that I should have learned by now?
0: That's good. Well, and so that brings me sort of to this concept of hope. I like to define it hope as the belief that change is possible. In very simple terms, I mean, you can you can come up with many different definitions for hope in a biblical you know worldview, with believing that God has pro- you know God will do what He said He will do. But really, this very simplistic sort of the belief that change is possible, and both in your writing, fierce convictions, and even in this battle you know, there's a season, like, there's a point where it becomes like, of course, slavery is wrong. Of course, misogyny is wrong. But how do you hang on to hope when you're fighting that battle, like, like in those dark days, months before the car, the bus accident, you know, how do you hang on to hope that if you do right, and you stick to your convictions, and you follow, you know, in obedience, what you think is right, you know, to, as opposed to tossing in the towel and saying, screw it, you know, I'm not going to do another tweet on this or write another article. And, and, and fight another battle and, and even get maybe some negative repercussions from men and leaders in the church who might feel threatened? How do you hang on to hope and fight the battle mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of it?
1: Well, you know, this is this is funny, because in my new book that you mentioned that's coming out in September, um, it's a study of the classical virtues and the theological virtues through the lens of literature. And I have a whole chapter on hope, Um, And I, I study, you know, I quote Aquinas and um, Augustine and the Bible and theologians, but I like your definition the best. (laughs) The, you know, the hope is um, the idea that change is possible. And I think that is really, that is my working definition of hope. I wish I had, you know, talked to you before I finished my book, but um, you know, (sighs) A lot of times people will praise me um, on social media for my patience and um, my graciousness in dealing with people. But I do think it it comes down to this hope that you talked about in your definition, the idea that change is possible. I mean, look, I'm a teacher. I'm a professor. My, My hope Career, my whole vocation is predicated on hope, on the the idea that change is possible. Um, I mean, when I'm teaching students to think better, to write more clearly, to engage with ideas uh, better, um, that's it's it's based on the idea that I think that their growth and their change is possible. And so, even when um, you know, and I took some pretty, I've taken some pretty hurtful criticism, even from people that I thought were friends, um, that was hard during this time. Um, but if I didn't believe change was possible, then, then I, you know, I wouldn't be doing this because we, but we all need to change and we're all learning and growing. And so I don't expect that I'm going about these things that I feel called to 100% the right way 100% of the time, because no one does that. But I feel convicted, as I said before, that I have this, I've I've seen something that I didn't know about before. I'm compelled to act. I have a platform that God has given me, and I'm going to use it and steward it the best of my ability to help bring about change. Um, And change is never... Even my own, I just had to face this in the past few days because my own physical healing has, as you said before, it has been miraculous. And I know that's been because of God's providence and the prayers of his people. Um, and it's gone so well that when I've had like just a couple of days ago, I had a setback where I had some pretty bad pain that I wasn't expecting. And I had to remind myself progress isn't always linear. It's not always straightforward. Sometimes it's kind of like a circle and a spiral and we go, you know, two steps forward, one step back and even change, um, hope in, in the possibility of change is like that too. Um, we're going to constantly make some mistakes and make some missteps when we're trying to achieve some important change. Um, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. And, you know, we can think, a year or five years or 10 years down the road and how far we've all come together, even through the pain and the messiness, that's what gives me hope.
0: That's good. How do you, what would you say to someone? Like, how do you pick your battles? Like, is it obvious when God puts you in the fray? What, you know, there's so many issues every other day is an issue on social media. And, mm. and I think there's a pressure to want to engage in all of them. And you feel like there's this guilt if you don't say something about everything, but I don't think God has called everyone to everything. So how do you sort of, buys maybe, as a professor, I mean, you work with a lot of younger people, but even women um, or men who are listening in who may be midway through life, like, where, where do you even start engaging for a fight that is that's, that matters?
1: Or do you just do it privately in prayer, you know? How do you know when it's time to step up and back? That's such an important and such a good question. And better than an answer, which I'll try to give, I think it's the most important thing is that we actually stop and ask ourselves that question. Because, you know, so many people take Silence on a particular issue to mean that you don't care about it or you're not, you know, it's, it's not important, but my goodness, there are so, this is a, you know, I, I've lived long enough to see a lot of difficult times in the church and in the culture, but this, this time is the most difficult, I think that I've seen. Um, And it is hard. And I think, I think a number of things, um, number one, humility, we have to have humility um, to know what we don't know, and what we're not qualified to speak on, or what we need to learn more about, or what we just need to listen to other people about. So we have to have that kind of humility. We have to have courage. Again, these are, these are more virtues that I write about in my book, I write about humility, we have to have courage, and courage, yeah, we need to have courage and boldness when it's time to speak out. But it also takes courage sometimes to just sit back and say, you know what, I just need to listen to this. That takes courage too, because you you know, I'm, I get trolled on social media for the things I don't say as well as the things that I do say. Um, and it also takes knowledge. I mean, we just don't all have enough knowledge to speak out, um, knowledgeably on, on issues, um, or experience. Uh, and so I think, I think those three things, and then of course, just Being sensitive to the calling of the Holy Spirit, which is not an exact science, but just simply being in the word and trusting the Lord and, you know, keeping that Holy Spirit nourished enough so that we are sensitive to um, his promptings and to his restraints in our lives to know um, when to speak up and when to be quiet or when to just simply wait
0: yeah and there's ways maybe even to support people who are up on the front lines like I think there's a sense sometimes that if you're not on the front lines you're not doing enough when in fact so many you know little actions that can be supportive of a person who might be on the front line. So I think of ways that people have supported you, like the person who was at the hospital when you first got there and, you know, and the people who tweeted for you that we'll never know. And, you know, all of these little details, your husband, I mean, you've tweeted a bit about him, but he's sort of like the unsung hero in a sense, like he's in the background, you know, doing the little things that are tedious. You know, when, when you have a member in the, Family who's sick, who hasn't gone through that, right? I mean, it's like there's so many ways that you can live out a calling without being the person who's getting all of the
1: accolades when things go well, or to blame when things go badly, right? <laughs> oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, this is why this goes back to you know the the, the biblical idea that of of we are a body and we're all different parts of the body, and the wisdom is in in, in knowing what our role in the body is and knowing what our giftings are. And, and sometimes that call changes. And sometimes, sometimes we get called to a thing that we don't want to do often. That's the case. But um, to just to realize that it's not, none of it is about just me. It's all about yeah. the body and it's all about helping the body to function the best that it can together. You know, once in a while, my husband will say, I said to him just before <laughs> in this, you know, this whole um, signature, and the petition, and all the interviews I was doing um, before the accident, and, and some afterwards, I said, I said to him, I said, I don't go looking for trouble. And he said, oh, I think, so. I think sometimes you do. And I said, No, well, I really, I really don't. But like I said, I have a platform. Um, I have, you know, I am, you know, I got, I got trolled, um, pretty mercilessly for a little while by people who were upset that I didn't speak about about this Christian leader who has said, things about women. And I said, he's not a Southern Baptist. I said, I'm not saying it's, you know, but I am a Southern Baptist. I have a particular call and place within my church community to say something, you know, so, but people just don't even see that. And so, um, so I, I knew that I had to, I had to speak up on that issue. And then when I got hit by the bus, and I couldn't, I said, I was just like, before the Lord, I'm like, I don't know why you allowed this to happen and I also don't know why you preserve my life. I said, but I just want to be, you know, I'm going to be quiet for a while, because I can't do anything right now. Um, and I right. just want to listen to you and let others perhaps speak. Um, and of course, now I'm speaking again. Uh, but I but the idea is, to, you know, we shouldn't have to be hit by a bus to be constantly asking that question, like, when do I speak, Lord, when do I remain quiet? Um, and to just not you know, that's another definition of, of, of hope, the, the classical definition of hope is because um, all virtues are the medium or the the, the, me- the the moderation between an extreme of deficiency and an extreme of excess, you know, not mm. too much or too little. And hope is the virtuous mean between the excess of presumption, like to assume, and the ex- mm. the, the deficiency of despair. And so what gives us, allows us to hope is to just navigate that middle way between despair and presumption. We should not presume upon God, nor should we despair. That's good. Um, As we're coming towards the end
0: of the conversation, uh, one last kind of big concept I want to dwell on for a minute uh, do you feel hopeful for the church like tell you know talk a little about what you see happening in the church for women maybe specifically the southern baptist since that is you know sort of your bird's eye view but like um as you've also been engaged in in the conversation about women uh in the united states like tell us uh, you know your general sense of what's happening
1: well, certainly within my convention, I do. I mean, I actually wrote. Um, follow. I couldn't be at our annual meeting in Dallas. I was, you know, still recovering um, from from the bus accident. But a, a lot of these issues were at the forefront in the resolutions and the proposals. And there was a major resolution passed about the the abuse of women, and and it was a, it was beautifully eloquent and detailed and thorough, and and repentant in how much the church has even unintentionally contributed to a structure that does is not responsive to, um, women's needs, uh, and, and women who are being oppressed and abused, that gave me hope. Just, um, the idea that the people are, are thinking and talking about this and recognizing it gives me hope, but even beyond my own church community, just, um, just the church at large, I, the fact that the, that we have access now to the global church. Um, You know, so often American evangelicals have just thought about Christianity only in American evangelical terms. Well, we can't do that anymore. And we don't have to do that anymore because we can see that what is happening in the church around the globe is in many respects much more exciting and much more of a a model um, to follow than what we've been doing here in um, in our, in the America, in America. And so there's much to give us hope as long as we stop look, turning inward and looking at ourselves and looking outward at the body as a whole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that's, that's so good. I love, I mean, you know, we can talk about this for an hour. I mean, I don't have a doubt in my mind, but I do want to bring this conversation sort of to wrap up. Um, uh, I, Tell us just real quick about your dogs, just little tid,
1: fun tidbits here for people to get to know. You have some cool dogs, right? It's more than one. I do. I do have some cool dogs. Uh, my husband and I were never able to have children, um, but the Lord has, you know, made our my, our lives very fertile in other ways, in my our ministries and so forth. And so one, you know, one ch- dogs are not substitutes for children, but they are a source of, of delight uh, and love for us. And so we have Ruby and Eva who are um, a German short-haired pointer and a Weimaraner. They're very rambunctious um, and (laughs) full of personality. It was so hard to be away from them for those eight days when I was in the hospital. And then even when I came home, I had to be so careful around them because they couldn't jump on me the way they usually want to. Um, But I think dogs, all animals, but dogs in particular, are one of God's greatest gifts to human beings. And I just... I I think of the way that he allows us to delight in his creation is just a, a small shadow of the way that he delights in us.
0: That's good. And actually, um, they can see pictures of your dogs. If they scour you
1: on social media, what are some ways that, uh, People can connect with you. Oh, Karen. yeah, it's very it's too easy to see the pictures of my Ruby okay. and Eva. Uh, the, the best pictures are on Instagram where I go. Uh, my Instagram handle is Karen Swallow Pryor. Um, I'm also on Twitter, KS Pryor. And I have a website, Karen Swallow drop, dot com. And you can find some of my writings there and my books and upcoming speaking and so forth. And it's, it's very easy to find me and I'm very accessible uh, and happy to connect with people.
0: He truly is. I mean, uh, I really remember just even early on just saying something to you on Twitter and you didn't know who I am from Adam, just your gracious response. And not everybody responds to people on Twitter. So I just little things that really show that you care about individuals, which I appreciated so much that I, you know, stalked you at a meeting and of course met you in person. And so um, I'm going to have more information about how to connect with her, all her sites and whatnot on um, the various venues that I reach out to people. Uh, I'm going to give away three of her books on reading well. Um, we're this i'm guessing the timing of this will be uh run right around when the book is out so if the first three people to email me at the email is Lena l-i-n-a at livingwithpower.org livingwithpower.org or just go to the contact page on, on livingwithpower.org first few people to send me an email and say hey i listened to you with karen and i'd love a book uh, i'm gonna send you the book uh, i need your address too but we'll talk about it when you send me the email um by the way, this is a side note, but we've got a minute or two. I love that story that I read somewhere. I think it was your husband. Um, yeah, I actually. Okay. And we'll wrap up after that. But he was like in a car with two of his students or something driving on the street. Right. Was that? And then That's they,
1: I love that story. Can you tell it real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't remember where I wrote about this, but I did. Um Uh, my husband's a high school teacher and he teaches, we live in, we live in a rural area, um, that's very poor and he teaches building trades. So he teaches a lot of students who aren't going to go to college. They're going to have blue collar jobs most likely. And, um, and he's so great with them. And, uh, he was, uh, driving around, he was coming back to get, he had a truck full of equipment or something like that. And, um, and, uh, and the, He had two students in his car and and they came across this jogger running down the road. And one of the students said something like, oh, what have we here? And so my husband slowed down the truck, rolled down the window and pulled up next to the jogger and said, I'd like you to meet my wife. Because that was me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those guys probably were speechless <laughs> yeah apparently the guy in the back who hadn't made that comment had met me before and he kind of realized at the last minute who who it was and his my husband said his eyes were getting really big because he realized what his classmate had done and um of course I, he rolls down the window he says hi hi i say hi and i didn't know you know what had gone on because they just pulled away uh, and i didn't know until he filled me in later um and then all the way back to school those kids got a lecture about you know not treating women as objects but treating them as like human beings and sisters and daughters and wives and just fellow human beings and so i think that's a lesson they'll never forget that's the that's the kind of guy my husband that's
0: is <laughs> Such a reminder that God uses these amazing illustrations and sort of object lessons. And I think your story that we start off with being run over by the bus is just such a symbolic thing. And you think that God would go to that extent to sort of play out a lesson that so many people can sort of, you wrote this amazing article on repentance that, you know, walks us through this process of repentance and the pictures of sin and whatnot by this illustration of being hit by a bus that I think is amazing. And I think it shows up when you Google um, Karen Swallow Pryor's name. Um, Karen, it's been so, so fun. Thank you for joining us for
1: this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I pray that this program blesses somebody out there.
0: Yeah. And listen, uh, uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, you can find out more about my ministry at livingwithpower.org. It's been an awesome time to be with you. I hope you have a hope filled day and I'll catch you guys in the next podcast episode.